Well, good morning, church. Everybody all right? Yes, I love it. The first two services, I'm going to be honest, they're like, hey, it's always good to uh, see you. Hope that you've had a great week. I don't know if you feel this way. I feel like this week was crazy, and then like the weekend just like came and went. I don't know if you feel that way. Um, I don't know if it's just like being a parent or just, I don't, I don't know if it's just life, the new year, whatever. But man, I'm so thankful to be here. We've had a great two first services. Um, <clears throat> y'all would have laughed. The first service, I kid you not, as I was talking, uh, I got attacked by a wasp, okay? Like it was like flying all around. I was trying to cry chop it. I just wasn't enough Mr. Miyagi, I guess. I don't know uh, what was going on there. Uh, the band said it was a moth. I said it was a wasp or a small bird, um, but it was getting me, and then my ADD got the best of me, but then last service, we got to um, have a deacon ordination. A couple months ago, y'all were able to vote and select two deacons from our campus specifically, and uh, Matt Lippert was ordained at the end of that, so that was a special time, and I know God's going to work in this uh, series or in this uh, service as well. Um, But man, uh, just a couple things to echo what Brian said. Uh, One, right after service, once again, group link, get involved in a group. You're not signing your life away or anything. Go check them out. I think it's so important for us to grow. We need other people in our lives to speak value and life and accountability and all those things. And so life really is better together. So go check those out. Um, You're not signing up. You're not committing to anything. Um, So make sure, just go check out what might work. Um, You can also be praying on the flip side as we continue to grow and um, expand. Obviously, I know, our leaders know, we don't have a ton of group options. We have some that meet in homes during the week, some that meet here on Wednesday, some that meet our downtown Simpsonville campus. But as we grow, man, we need more and more leaders. And so if you're interested in that, come see me because we want people to get involved in that type of community. Also, uh, make sure if you didn't get this last week, uh, one of these sent devotional uh, guides. This is going to go along with our series that we're starting today. Uh, these are free. Uh, pick them up um, in the lobby. There is one devotional for every single week. And so it's a great just resource to supplement your walk with God uh, during the week that you can read ahead of time and just kind of prepare your hearts before Sunday and kind of walk along. Um, but this is, like I said, only a supplement to your personal time with God, don't let this, there's only one per week, so don't let this be your only time with Jesus, okay? Um, So pick one of those up, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, the book of Acts, and just kind of hold your finger there. We're going to do some groundwork, as we usually do, to start a series, especially looking over an incredible book like Acts. There's a lot of different things, and Uh, to talk about and to kind of set up context-wise for us to know and kind of put our place, uh, put ourselves there in place there. Um, But as we've been preparing for this, I've really, I was kind of, um, God just did something really, it was a frustrating time in my life um, or event that took place a couple weeks ago to really open up my eyes for really the heartbeat of this series. And here's, here's what happened to me. A couple weeks ago, I guess two Fridays or two Thursdays ago now, um, my, my oldest son plays on the middle school basketball team for their school. And um, we get out of uh, a game and it's late. We had some friends that we talked to afterwards. And I go to get in my truck and to start it and it doesn't start. Have you ever had that feeling? It's like the worst feeling ever. It's like, rah, 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 rah. so I'm like, man, it's the battery, you know, and I, I hate, I hate that. So 
Um, so uh, friends of ours that came to the game, we called and said, hey, will you come? Uh, my, my car's dead. So I'm thinking, I don't have jumper cables. They do, all right? They show up, I'm like, hey, you have jumper cables? They're like, no, you don't? And I'm like, no. So they were kind enough to um, give me and our oldest son, Zion, a ride home where I had to wait for Sloan, who has jumper cables. And, um, and she drove me up there. We tried to jumpstart my car, my truck. Wouldn't start. So here we are. It's like 930 at night, and we're tired. It's school night. And I pop, pop my hood, and my car, my truck's kind of ghetto. So yeah, I use a stick, okay? I don't, my thing doesn't work anymore. So, um, and I, Sloan's holding the flashlight. I'm trying to detach the battery out of my truck. So the next day, I take it to Advanced Auto to get it tested, and they're like, your battery's good. I'm like, of course it is. You know, that means something much more expensive is going to take place. So um, I don't know about you. This is just my generation, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to look on YouTube. What could it be? right? Because we do that with ourselves. We go to WebMD for all of our medical, medical stuff. So why not go to YouTube for your car? So I go and they're like, okay, it could be a couple different things, but more than likely, if it's not the battery, then it's probably the starter or fuel pump. So I'm like, okay. Now, those of you who don't know this about cars, this is so crazy to me. But did you know that if it's your starter, more often than not, you can get underneath your car and take a hammer, uh, a wrench, something heavy, and just bang on it? right? You can bang, 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 and then get in there and crank, crank it up, right? Uh, it's pretty redneck. So, um, so I'm like, it's, it's got to be that. So here I am in the school parking lot. I'm like, don't mind me, people, you know? And so I'm bang, 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 and get underneath there. I get it. It, won't, it will not start, right? And of course, the school maintenance guy comes by. He's like, you need any help? I'm like, yeah, I need a lot of help, all right? My car won't start. And he was super nice. We were trying to figure out, is it a fuse or relay and all this other stuff. And so then I call a friend of mine. He's like, it's probably your fuel pump. He goes, now you're not gonna believe this. Get under there and bang your gas tank. And I'm like, this is a prank, you know? He said, no, hit that gas tank as hard as you could with your hands. So I'm like, okay, here we go. I'm like, this, I feel like an idiot, you know? So I get underneath there. I'm like, bam, 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 you know? And so I get up. I'm like, this is so dumb. And that joker cranked up, right? <laughs> cranked right up. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. I feel like I'm a certified mechanic, right? <laughs> you, you know you've been to a mechanic when they're like, yeah, it's going to be $800. Bang, bang, bang. I'll fix it all, baby, you know? And so I, I could not believe it. And so I let it run for a little bit. And I'm like, man, I just, this just made my day. And so I call Sloan. I'm like, I started it. I'm going to come home. Then I'm like, oh, wait, I drove your car here. So I got to leave it here, right? So then I go home and, I, you know, I turn off the car. I go home. She brings me up. It won't start again. Bang, 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 bang. Starts right up. I'm like, we're going to Goodyear, all right? We're going to the mechanic right now. So we go to the mechanic. But here's why I tell you that story. It reminded me, really, I was convicted because I think so often that as a believer and as a church, sometimes we become so complacent with where things are that you and I in the church, we need some pounding on the chest to resuscitate some passion in us, to bring us back to life. Not, I'm saying like the life that we, when we first fell in love with Jesus, that kind of life, not the complacent, okay, it's all right, cultural Christianity, all those things. And that at that point, I recognized, man, just like my truck needed some hits to the gas tank, man, as believers, I need that. 
I need to be reminded of my purpose and why God has called me and to interact with the people that he's put in my life to not just go through life and be like, okay, I'm a good person. I'm gonna try to live for Jesus. I'm gonna go to church on Sundays. But people need Jesus. And, 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 and God wants to use me, why I do not know, but God wants to use me to speak life into people who are hopeless around me. And so in this uh, incredible series, we're gonna be walking through, um, it's 18 weeks total. We're gonna be walking through to about three weeks before Easter. We'll stop, have an Easter series, and then we'll pick back up after Easter. But what we see are a group of people, the disciples and the formation of the early church, get re they are so alive and resuscitated. They love everything about Jesus and what they've experienced. They want the rest of the world to experience. And my prayer, and I hope your prayer, is that as a campus, we're like that. As believers, we're like that. It's not just uh, whatever. Man, it is with great passion that we have. Because what we see and what we're going to see in the weeks ahead is that the church at its inception was a movement. It was a movement of early believers that were so incredibly convicted in their beliefs and in their faith and what they've experienced in Christ, that they were gonna do something about it. And that meant telling everybody they came in contact with to establish what we know as the church, okay? And so we're gonna see that line through that. Now, before we open up in Acts, I'm gonna show you on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But we have to start at the end of Luke, and you might be like, well, why is that? Well, Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, duh, all right, that he also wrote Acts. And Acts is the prequel to Luke's, to Luke's, to Luke, his gospel and what he's saying. And so at the end of chapter 24, we see kind of a cliffhanger moment where Luke kind of just like leaves us. Have you ever seen a good movie or like um, you're watching a show and don't you hate it when it says to be continued? You're like, oh my God, I gotta wait till next week. You know why they do this? They're smart. And it's almost as if Luke does that in the end of chapter 24 of Luke. And so let me kind of tell you to bring some context to where we're going. And then I actually, it's kind of out of order a little bit. I'm gonna have two points. We're gonna read Acts and then two more points in that. So at the end of Luke, this is what happens. Jesus is crucified, he's taken down from the cross, and he's buried. He's put into a tomb. And so three days pass, and a few women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and uh, Mary, the mother of James, go to visit the gravesite of Jesus. Ceremonially speaking, this is what you did. They prepared spices so it wouldn't smell. So they go to the gravesite, they go to the tomb of Jesus, and the stone is rolled away, and they're in shock. They're thinking, where is Jesus' body? And uh, two angels come and say, I love this, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here talking about Jesus. He is not here. He is what? Risen. Now think about this. Let's put this in like modern day culture, right? If you have a family member or a friend that you've lost, and they're buried in a cemetery, and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go visit the headstone and say a few things and spend some time with God. And you go to the gravesite, and you come to that tomb, that, that, that headstone, and there's just a big hole in the ground. The casket's gone. I mean, you're, gonna, you're probably gonna call somebody, right? You're like, what in the world just took place? 
And so the women are like, we gotta tell somebody about this. So they run back, they tell the disciples, disciples, you're not gonna believe what we have seen. We, we, we went to the tomb, Jesus was not there. I love Peter. Peter is stubborn. He, he speaks out of turn. He's like, you know what? I don't believe it. I'm gonna go see it for myself. Any of y'all like that? I'd be like that. He runs to the tomb. He sees it for himself, comes back and says, the women, they're not lying. They're telling the truth. Jesus isn't there. And then you see this incredible moment. I think it's funny, and I think um, God has a sense of humor in this, is that you have these two guys that are on this road walking to a city um, uh, called Emmaus, and Jesus just shows up out of the blue, and it's like, hey guys, what y'all talking about? And they're like, whoa, where'd you come from? And they're like, we're talking about Jesus, this man from Nazareth who came and did all these incredible things. Have you not heard of him? And he's like, no, I have, what, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> you know? And, and they, they go on and on. And before they get to the city, Jesus disappears. And then he comes and he visits the disciples. And in his moment with the disciples, he's challenging them, reminding them. Could you imagine? Like, they're shocked. They are absolutely shocked. They believe the women a little bit. They believe Peter a little bit more so. Now they are face to face with Jesus post-resurrection. And so they're face to face. And this is what Jesus tells them. And you're going to see the similarities in Acts. Uh, in Acts. Um, it'll be on the screen in Luke 24, verses 46 through 49. He says to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on, and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning right here from Jerusalem. Then he says, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then after that, we see that the believers says they are worshiping and praising God continuously in the temples, end of Luke. So that is where it ends. And so what we see is Jesus challenged the disciples and tell them to wait right here because the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and give you incredible power. Now, a couple introductory type things before we get into Acts and to the, to the depths of it, is that really the first believers were absolutely driven by these two convictions. The first one being that the tomb is empty. So if you're taking notes this morning, that's the first point. The tomb is empty. They saw with their own eyes, Jesus was alive. He wasn't in the tomb. And what that did for them was solidify the three years that they've committed their life to following him and everything that they've experienced. He was actually telling the truth. He was who he said he was. The tomb was empty. So that means Jesus was the Savior. He was the Messiah that their, their relatives, their parents told them about, their grandma and them told them about. For generation after generation said a great Messiah is going to come and rescue his people that was Jesus. He was the Christ. He wasn't another prophet that just had some really good teaching. They knew and were 100% convinced this is Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. If it would have been just a normal grave and he would have stayed in there, he was just a nice person that did some awesome things, that taught some good topics, uh, morality, 
but we know that he was God's son. And out of that, by the greatest gift of grace, they saw that Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection was able to rescue sinners like you and me, to bring hope and to restore brokenness and all those things. And because they encountered that, they understood that since this was true, that they needed everybody else in their life and they wanted and desired for everybody else to experience the same grace and truth and life. And so it was worth worth it to them to go and to tell everybody that they encountered about Jesus. It was so beautiful and glorious that they wanted to spread it to the ends of the earth. So the tomb was empty. Here's the second conviction, that he ascended to the throne. Now we're gonna see this a little bit more in Acts. But when Jesus ascends into heaven, he is sitting on the right hand of God. That means he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the name above all other names. He is the king of the kingdom of God. And so we see his sovereignty and his rule as king in this, that it solidifies he is who he says he was. That he was God incarnate that came down here that needs to rule in my life as a follower of Christ because he sits on the throne, that it's not about me, it's about him. And those two driving factors, that Jesus is alive, the tomb is empty, and that Jesus is king, that he ascended to the throne, drove the message for everybody that they encountered. It, it, it really infiltrated every aspect of their life. And that's why the movement started. Because if you think about it, the gospel message leads us to the gospel mission. When you and I have been changed by what Jesus has done in us and through us, what we've experienced and the salvation that has come to our lives when we were dead and now have life, that is something, that message should and lead us to tell other people to reach people for Jesus. It's the mission. The gospel message leads us to the gospel mission. There is no such thing as someone who really believes the gospel but sits on the sidelines. There is no such thing. And what we see is this movement start based on those convictions, what they've experienced, and that passion that said, let's go. We have work to do. And so that brings us to Acts. And we'll be here for four more hours. No, just kidding. All right, here's Acts chapter one, verse one. We're gonna read the first 11 verses. In the first book, so the first book was Luke, all right? O Theopolis, now there's some different uh, interpretation of who Theopolis is, right? Don't you just wish you had that name? It's just a cool name. So some believe that it was a skeptic. Some believe it was an early believer that Luke is writing to and kind of really showing, hey, this is, this is like maturing in your faith. Let me teach you these things. Um, I've even read some commentaries that say Theopolis is actually a group of people kind of put into a lump, some uh, who are searching. And I think that's a minute detail here. But um, so Luke's writing, he says in the first book, O Theopolis, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had, com uh, had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, just kind of, Side note, what Luke is saying is he, he began to do and teach. I've already written about those things. That was the beginning. That was only the beginning. When Jesus ascended, it wasn't like, all right, 
you know, close the chapter, it's, it's ended. What we see in the gospel of Luke is Jesus doing all these things in the lives of people. And then in Acts, what we see is J- Jesus doing all these things in the lives of people known as the church, as the believers. And so collectively, we see this continuation that he began that in, in the gospel of Luke, but Luke is now saying, I've told you all those things, but now it hasn't stopped, we're, con- we're continuing. Verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The tomb is empty, he's alive. That's all you need to say. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I love Jesus' response. He's like, that's not really important right now, guys. He says this, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, sound familiar? And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, whom was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So you see the similarities at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, as we had in Luke, the tomb, the women, and the angels say, hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You know, and, and, and Jesus speaks and shows up to him and says, I want you to wait right here. The power, the promise of my father, the Holy Spirit is going to come. Wait right here. And in Acts, we see the same thing. Jesus ascends, two men are on either side of the disciples and they're saying, why are you gazing into heaven? The same way he left, he's going to return. And we see this promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus says, wait right here. And so a couple things just to bring to your attention that we, what we see here um, in this is, is so interesting because really the disciples in this moment are given the most important assignment to to anyone who has ever lived. And it happens to a really unqualified bunch of knucklehead cowards. <laughs> and, and so what we see here is point number three is that the, the spirit empowers his people. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if your Bible says this at the top of the book of Acts. It says the acts of the apostles, which is true. They're being obedient to God's word but it really should read the act of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is living in them. We see over and over, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and empowers this this group of nobodies, these fishermen, previous tax collectors um, that don't have it all together. They don't have a seminary education or any kind of education really. And what we see is God empowering them through the Holy Spirit to do amazing things. And you're gonna see this through the book of Acts. That these guys are emboldened with the Spirit in such a way that they take a stand 
and they're willing to give their life for Jesus. They're willing to give it, and whatever it costs, whatever it takes, they're willing to do anything and everything. And think about this. Being a follower of Jesus then was radically different than what it is now. When you were a believer then, it, it was outrageous. It was not acceptable. And it would cost you and possibly your family's life. Now, we, we kind of define, we've watered down what it means to disciple or follower of Jesus and it'd be like, well, I, I go to church. You know what I mean? We kind of downplay it. I'll be honest. I've had to check my heart. I've been wrestling with this question. Is, if, am I as committed to the gospel as the early believers? And to be quite frank, I'm not. Many of us are sissy Christians. And the thing is that when we look and we see it, we're like, wow, man, something is happening here. And it's the Holy Spirit that is giving them power. And the Holy Spirit will give us power when it's in line with his plan. When we are walking with Jesus, when we are being filled with the Spirit, when we are saying, okay, I want to live for you. I want to do things according to your plan. Man, the Spirit gives us power. But when we're over here, when we're living in disobedience, when we're like, you know what? It's not a priority for my life. I like the cultural Christianity thing. I'll go to church once a month. I'll, I won't really read my Bible, whatever the case may be. Of course, you're not going to feel the Spirit of God move. And, and what I have found is that we want God to move, but we're unwilling to let him lead. We want to lead. And so through that, while we know the spirit empowers, oftentimes you and me, and I'm guilty of this too, we make a lot of excuses in our walk with God. Make a lot of excuses. So I, I decided to jot some down. There's 52 of them. No, just kidding. All right, and we're all guilty of this. I, I've heard these things as a pastor um, and I've been guilty of them myself. I've heard things like this. I don't, I don't share Jesus because I don't have what it takes. Well, guess what? The disciples didn't have what it takes either. That's why the Spirit was such good news to coming to the disciples. They were cowards. They hid. They were afraid. And all of a sudden, what we're going to see unpack in the next few weeks is now the disciples are bold and they're proclaiming. They're like, you want to kill me? Kill me. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. It's all because of the Spirit of God. They didn't have what it takes either, but because when we surrender our life to Christ and the Holy Spirit reigns in us, man, we have the most amazing story to tell. So you do have what it takes. Another one is, it's not my gift. It's not my gift to share Jesus. I don't have that spiritual gift, okay? Listen, sharing Christ isn't necessarily a spiritual gift. It's a responsibility. And if you are a believer, you are responsible for sharing it. So you don't have to take some spiritual gift thing and be like, praise God, I don't have to share Jesus, you know, in this assessment. You and I, as a believer, are called and responsible to share Jesus. Here's one I get all the time. I witness with my life. Have you heard that? I witness with my life. Now I get, I get the sentiment and I get the heart behind that. You probably have heard the quote from St. Francis of Assisi that says, preach the gospel and at, at all times and use words if necessary. Have you heard that? It's a good quote. I, I get what he's saying. And our lives should absolutely be an example of Jesus to a broken and dying world. 
But here's the thing. For us to share Jesus, you have to proclaim it with your mouth. You can't just say, I, I witness with my life. I have never met anybody that, okay, for instance, okay, that because I don't cuss or use profanity, that someone comes up to my life and says, you know what? I've realized you never, you never say cuss words. And, um, but you know, because of that, I recognize I'm a sinner and I need salvation in Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the only way. So, I, I, you know, you just don't have that. You have to use words. You have to explain it. You know, sure, be, be a person that is following Jesus and let your life speak. I'm not saying don't do that. But in order to share Jesus, we can't just be lazy and say, I'm not going to speak. I'm just going to let my, my life do it. You know what I'm saying? And so we can't do that. Here's another one. I don't have time. Here's the thing. I'm going to be really short with this. I believe that for many of us, we have become so numb to the fact that people all around us are dying and going to hell. And we say to ourselves, I just don't have time. I'm busy for this. We need a sense of urgency. We need to be pounded in the chest that God wants to use you and me to be sent, be empowered um, by the Holy Spirit. And here's the last one. I've heard an excuse. Talking to other people about Jesus just makes me feel weird or uncomfortable. I would like to be a fly on the wall, no judgment, but in heaven, people who say that when they're talking to Paul or Stephen and be like, yeah, it was just a little weird and made me feel uncomfortable. And Stephen's like, oh yeah, I got stoned. <laughs> me too, it made me feel uncomfortable as well. You know, but with the spirit in us, think about this, as a believer, what Jesus has done in your heart must come out of your mouth. We must share what the greatest news and a story to tell of how God has changed our life. We should be able to share that with anybody and everybody. You and I were not saved to be silent. And the fourth thing that we see in this, in the early believers, that the, the church is sent. When Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The disciples were sent as witnesses. What they've had, had experienced, Jesus was saying, you're going to tell everybody about it. You and I, when we leave this place in just a few minutes, you're being sent. You are called as a believer to be a missionary. Not to say, all right, I don't have to talk about Jesus. I don't have to read scripture. I don't have to pray until next Sunday. Man, go be light into a dark world. Go speak truth where there is no truth. Go be love when there's a bunch of hate. Be unity when there is division. And it all is rooted not for good works and humanitarian efforts and social justice. It's rooted in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Let that speak volumes to the lost world because we are being sent. If you think about it, as Jesus says, you are my witnesses. Think about it. If you're a witness and, um, in a courtroom, you share what you saw, right? You share what you experienced, the truth, do that each and every day. We must go. And I honestly believe that this year, our campus and our church, man, we are right at a, a pivotal point. Can you imagine if every single one of us in this room says, you know what, we're gonna be missionaries. We're gonna go out in our classrooms where I teach, 
man, I'm gonna be a missionary to these kids. And I know there's limitations and what you can say and all that. But when you go to your job, man, I'm gonna be a missionary. As a mom or dad, I'm gonna be a missionary to my kids and to their, my kids' friends and their parents on the sports teams, whatever the case may be, that's the way I wanna live. Can you imagine the life change that we would experience being empowered by the Holy Spirit and, saying, and making that commitment to how many people would come to know Jesus this year, how many people would be baptized, how many people take a next step of some sort, and it'd be incredible. And here's the reality. Christians are either missionaries or imposters. And all about you, I want our church and our campus to be full of missionaries, not imposters, not fakes, not cultural Christians, but ones that say, you know what, I might not be perfect, but I wanna live for Jesus. And what a great thing that starts with great conviction on what Jesus has done for you and me. Let's pray together. Father, it is with great humility we come before you and ask that you just revive us, that you would just hit us in the chest, convict us, resuscitate us, bring us back with passion and life to see people come to know you. We're all guilty of being complacent, going through the routine, the motions on Sunday mornings, complaining about just an hour on a Sunday. But God, I pray that you open up our eyes, awaken our hearts to the brokenness you have surrounded us with for us to speak love and to hope into their life because of what your son Jesus has done for us. Because he is alive. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And allow us to spread that message to anyone and everyone that we encounter. Let that gospel message be the mission of our hearts. So as we close in worship, let us respond. Give us, just breathe into us your spirit. And I pray for the person that might be here that's never surrendered their life to you. They believe in you. They wanna do good things even in your name, but Father, they've never given their life to you. Pray that today would be that day and that your spirit would reside in their hearts to make an impact in the lives of many. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Let's stand, let's respond and worship and to speak to Jesus this morning.